A huge shout out and welcome to episode nine of Heart of the Bookkeeper. My name is Rob Marshall and this podcast is brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. Bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business. Today's guest is someone who doesn't necessarily profess to being a bookkeeper, but inadvertently perhaps has played as big a role in bookkeeping in Australia in the past 20 years than nearly anybody. Our guest today is former MYAB CEO, Tim Reid. In this episode, we go on a journey of business, something that has been a passion of Tim's since discussions around the kitchen table as a kid with his parents. Tim's love of all things business and a desire to bring about business change comes through very strongly in this episode. We talk Silicon Valley, we talk venture capital processes, we talk the importance of bookkeepers and of course Tim's time whilst at MYOB. This is a fascinating interview and I hope that you can take some time out to sit, listen and take in episode nine of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Enjoy. Tim Reid is the President of the Business Council of Australia, a role he assumed in 2019, having sat on the board since 2017. Tim also is the Joint Managing Director of Potentia Capital, an Australian private equity fund focused on investing and growing local software businesses. But probably more in our hitting zone, the listeners of Heart of the Bookkeeper, Tim spent 12 years as CEO of MYAB at that time the leading provider of online accounting in Australia with payroll and tax solutions to SMEs and their advisors. During Tim's tenure at MYAB, MYAB was regularly named as one of Australia's most innovative companies, was awarded the prestigious CanStar Award for Best in Category Product and basically was a lifestyle for many of us listening in uh, on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Tim is passionate about technology and its ability to improve the lives and livelihoods of people. For many years, he's been an advocate for good public policy, long-term thinking and the role of women in society. But most of all, Tim Reid is just a good person. Now, Tim, this uh, podcast we've been um, pitching out into the marketplace for about uh, 12 months now and most of the guests so far have had a fairly strong bookkeeping acumen. We did in episode three have Colin Walker, former um, uh, ATO uh, aficionado, if you want to put it that, I'm sure he would have uh, better titles than that, but uh, who didn't necessarily have a strong bookkeeping background but had played a big influence in the, in the development of the bookkeeping community across a number of years. I feel exactly the same about you. I don't know if you do, but you've had a clear influence on the bookkeeping community. Before we get going, right from the get-go, I want you to dispel something that, and you're allowed to say that I've, you know, I've clearly dreamt this up, but I am certain I had a conversation with you once that whilst you were at the height of your position of CEO of MYOB, you were somewhat quietly in the background actually doing the books for one of your daughter's netball teams or school canteens or something. You want to you fill us in on that, that story or was I dreaming that one up? Yeah, no, no, I think you, but you're potentially accurate, Rob. Yeah, it was one of, <laughs> one of my kids' sports teams. It was very simple at the time. 
Although I will say that through my wife, who's done a number of things, and I had to jump in at one point. Um, she's the president of the local art gallery here. And um, it, it was there was definitely a moment there where I had to jump in and help um, help with payroll at one point in time. And so I am not a bookkeeper, as you know, and so that was a dangerous undertaking. But um, but I, I was always loving our tools. I, I love to demo things. You saw me on stage multiple times talk about what MYAB did and why we did it and how we did it. And so I think it's important for a CEO to. Yeah, to be in touch with those things. Yeah, look, Tim. I look. I'm probably. I am starting to clearly uh, fantasise a bit in my head, but I, I'm sure I, I remember a bit of a story that also related to you in that process, having to go to work and regularly ask some of the uh, the guys at work actually, how do you open spend money and receive money? But I, I'm probably just. Uh, I, I'm. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I may be taking that story way too far. It's now far more intuitive than it used to be, isn't it, Rob? So That's it. Yeah, so Tim, tell me a little bit about pre-MYOB, lifestyle for Tim Reid. Now, I, I ask all our guests, what do they call home? Now, I notice in your case, when I did uh, ask you this in the, in the lead-up to, to this episode, that you live in Sydney and you definitely class Sydney as home. But maybe tell the listeners, it wasn't always the place that you resided and certainly wasn't the place you were born. So give us a little bit of background as to Tim Reid in his early years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but you're right, Rob, just picking up on that. Sydney is home now. And I think it's because Corolla and I have raised our kids here. And mm. so they think of it as home. And, you know, you get to that point as a parent where where your kids are is a more determinant of where you are rather than the other way around. And so... Yes. I, yeah. I think Sydney, you know, will be for the five of us sort of, you know, the place where we created a family and um, and, and therefore will always be home. But no, look, I had the great privilege of travelling around a little bit. So immediately before um, I moved to Sydney in 2003, which was when I took the job with Solution 6, which ultimately led to me joining MYOB, uh, I lived in the US for 10 years, so I spent eight years uh, working and living in San Francisco in different tech companies in Silicon Valley. And to think back, that meant I, I kind of got there in 1996 and, you know, Netscape had gone public in the US in 1995. So it was right at the very start of the internet boom and, um, and all of the technology that came with um, that dot-com era. So previous to there, I uh, spent a couple of years in Boston and that was a fantastic time in my life. I did an MBA at Harvard Business School and really learnt a lot and grew and made lifelong friends and so on. Um, I spent a few years working in the UK and in, um, in Asia as a consultant um, immediately prior to that. And look, I was a country boy, right? I grew up in country Victoria. Um, I didn't have a passport when I started work. So um, in my first job to get the opportunity to live and work overseas was was just amazing. And, mm. um, and, and so that was a great time. Uh, before that, I spent a little bit of time in Sydney, but um, pretty much grew up in country Victoria, studied at Melbourne Uni and, um, and, and so always considered myself a Victorian. So mm. it's a big thing for me to say that Sydney is home, um, but, mm. but even as a Victorian um, by birth, Sydney, Sydney's now home. <laughs> I'm very aware that uh, you've maintained some connection to country Victoria because you're a big Geelong Cats supporter, so uh, I think that, that sort of gives you some cred back in Victoria, I'm sure. Yeah, um, let's hope. 
Yeah, let's hope. Yes, yeah. And right now, as we, um, as as I speak in this uh, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper, the uh, the cats, the Geelong cats, are still alive in the AFL finals. So uh, I know Tim will be uh, punting away. Final four and going to go all the way this year, Rob. All the way this year. All the way. Yep. Yeah, and uh, could all, could end in a uh, a mighty victory in Perth, uh, my home state. So there you go. But going back to Country Victoria, Mum and Dad, Malcolm and Anne, were they business people? You know, with your with your uh, obvious uh, journey in life that has seen you so connected to business. What what did they do for a living? Yeah, no, they were. So they um, they both trained as school teachers, which is where they met. And um, Mum was a primary school teacher, and Dad was a high school teacher. But Dad, um, at his heart, was an entrepreneur. So he started his first business the year I was born. Um, And he started out um, making art easels um, that he sold to the local high school because they couldn't get any and they needed some. So he just did it on school holidays and then found that he could sell them to lots of different schools in the district. Um, And from there built up what is one of Victoria's main two educational supply businesses. Um, So school books and... um, I, when I was young, um, it was always a busy time in January because all of those bags of kids' school books that would get shipped um, to schools, um, that w- that was happening at our place. And I, I wasn't put to work. That was your um, place, was it? <laughs> but, but, yeah, taking lunch down to people and all of those sorts of things because uh, there was a warehouse down the back of our house and that was where lots of Victorian kids got their school books through. And and Dad went on from there. He sold that business. He had a bus line for a while. He had a guest house for a while. He had a travel um, tourism business. And he was always... um, Dad was a real product person. He'd really understand his customer and think about the product and and loved the product. Um, As um, probably, you know, many of you who are listening would know, you can get those really passionate business owners who... who, um, don't see financials as being anything other than obstacles in their vision. And, <laughs> um, and, I, and I do think back to, you know, some of the times when I was a teenager when, um, you know, there was no MYOB. This was pre-PCs, mm. you know, and mm. financial information would come to small business owners often months if not a year after the end of the period and they couldn't see how their business was travelling. So I think they had to be quite intuitive back then and people made more mistakes because of that. Uh, but it's a, um, yeah, I, I always grew up where at the kitchen table we discussed business. There was always a, you know, Dad was very open with us in yeah. sharing what was happening. Uh, we talked about society. We talked about the economy. We talked about um, public policy, about tax. And, you know, you mentioned in the intro that I have a deep passion for public policy, and I do. I, I actually think that it really matters and, you know, we, sh- we should all be very thankful that over the last 30 years, broadly speaking, you know, we've been well governed as a nation and are in a more enviable spot than others because of that. Um, I say broadly because I think there's a reasonable amount of disappointment that we've all had, you know, or sorry, I shouldn't presume that, that I have had and many that I talked to in the more recent years. But, um, yeah, home was always active conversations about what was happening in the world and 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 what was happening that day in um, in dad's business yeah and I, I wonder these days if those same sort of conversations are happening around the kitchen table I know I try to engage with my kids in those sort of conversations it's a, it's a little bit 
harder, I think, now because in a lot of cases when I maybe raise a topic at the kitchen table, the, the kids are already over it because they've read it, you know, earlier that day on Twitter or something along those sort of lines. So I don't know because I, I had a very similar background to you in, in respect to that. You know, Dad would constantly, you know, at the, the, the tea table time, you know, bring up a subject that would be, you know, I guess bordering on political or on, on certainly on social. And... Um, I think it's possibly a little bit harder to have those conversations now because that information was, you know, a revelation to me as a kid, whereas now it's it's so out there and so available that I'm wondering if those same conversations ha- happen. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that they can. Um, it's a really good point that you raise, though, if I think about our dinner conversations, they probably bounce around a lot more rather than sticking to one theme, yeah. um, which perhaps they did when I was growing up. But I also think that it's, it, it is really important um, to join the dots. Um, and so the challenge with getting information through Twitter or Instagram or whatever isn't necessarily that, um, that the facts are dubious, um, which at times they are, but, mm. you know, that was probably always the case. It's actually the fact that you get sound bites and I think the, the value is in joining those, those pieces of information together. Like the insight doesn't come from the soundbite. It comes from seeing the pattern and seeing the bigger picture. And so, um, you know, I think conversation is, is still really, really important. Yeah, and, and, and the flip side, of course, is that in a lot of cases, you know, my kids in particular are asking me questions because of things they have read. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't have, you know, back in the day unless Dad had raised it with me in the first place. So uh, I, I think it would be incorrect to say that it's better or worse. Um, it's just it's a little bit different perhaps to uh, earlier times, you might say. But I'm, I'm keen to explore the moment you went into the US and went to Harvard. Yeah. Um, was that the moment or was there an earlier moment where business really connected with you or resonated with you as being your future or was, you know, was there a moment where Tim Reed dreamed of being a, a plumber or a carpenter or something like that, you know? Uh, what, what was the change moment? Yeah, no, I was never going to be a plumber or a carpenter. Um, the, um, there was a time period where I wanted to be a pilot but doesn't everyone <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I actually applied um, to be a pilot with the Air Force and um, and um, passed lots of tests and there was one test where there was a little dot in the middle of the screen and you had a joystick and these feet pedals and yes. you had to keep the dot in the middle of the screen. And, um, I remember that. And, and you did it three times and I scored exceptionally well the first time, I scored well the second time and I scored averagely the third and because my trend was going downhill, they said, there's no way we want you in one of our planes. Um, but would you like to do something else in the Air Force? And I just thought, why would I join the Air Force if I'm not a pilot? Like, that, yeah. that doesn't sound fun. So there were things like that that sort of uh, through the years that I thought um, I, I, you know, I would enjoy doing or that I thought I might do, et cetera. But business was pretty present. Like, I, you know, I studied commerce at Melbourne Uni and I did that really specifically because, you know, it was where you learned about business. And I think I sort of knew that I wanted to do that from year 10 or year 11 or something like that at school. So it was pretty early on that to me I would go into business. That was just sort of a, a, 
a default path. And I guess I've got to put a lot of that down to my dad. And for, you know, a good chunk of my career, even, you know, when I first came back to Australia in 2003, I sort of figured that I'd move down here, work for a couple of years somewhere, and then start a business by sort of looking at opportunities that I'd sort of seen businesses of in the US and start an Australian one. And top of my mind was actually there was a business there called Jumba Juice and there was no Boost Juice down here at that point in time and I thought that there might be something in that idea and so on. So I I think it it had always been there. Uh, Probably the other competing thing for me was public policy and so, you know, I I had often through the years thought about um, a a role in politics and um, playing some sort of public policy role Mm. Um, and, and... you know, I, I guess I always found real importance in what I was doing in business and, you know, running a business and employing people and creating financial security for people and so on is a really, really important role in our community and one that doesn't yeah. get recognised enough or praised enough. And and that was why I think NYIB was just such a great place for me because, I, you know, I, it didn't need to be explained how important small business is and yeah. what the role of an entrepreneur is and and the risk that people take when they start their own business. Like I, I valued that and I appreciated that. And so, yeah, so I always stuck to business and never went down that political path. I will say I love the BCA role now. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm spending a day or two a week on public policy and I'm in a role where I, I do have, you know, a, an ability to shape um, the policies of, of major parties to, you know, to impact the COVID response through to, you know, changes to the Corporations Act. And obviously there are lots of voices that feed into the parliament and feed into our politicians, but I do enjoy spending time thinking about that and, and genuinely trying to think about what's the right thing for Australia. And we'll, we'll circle back to that because I am interested and I, I reckon the um, the listeners would love to maybe understand a little bit more about the Business Council. I think there probably isn't maybe as, as much awareness as there should be around what role the Business Council plays. But we'll, we'll circle back to that one because there's a couple of things I need to qualify in, in what you've just said a moment ago. First of all, uh, I connected with her a couple of years ago and she's just texted me. Uh, Janine Alice says, thank goodness you didn't take up the um, the, ju- the juice option that you <laughs> can, were talking about. Can, can I just made... say, Janine yeah. did such a fantastic job that I don't think I would have been any <laughs> challenge or any threat to what Janine did. <laughs> but she, what a what a wonderful person. She certainly was and she was uh, a, a revelation when she spoke a few years ago at a, a conference that many of us attended. Um, and secondly, um, uh, there was nothing derogatory about suggesting you might have been a plumber, by the way, because this is a... Uh, this is a, a revelation that may come as a revelation to you and many others, but I actually did my work experience as a plumber. Um, but I think about... Oh, day three and about four toilets in, I realised that I was going to make a better bookkeeper. So there you go. Yeah, no, and, <laughs> and, 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 and hey, Rob, I would never take it that way either because I think one of the challenges that we have are, um, are, are setting sort of stereotypes for people about different types of work. And, and I firmly believe that people do their best work when they love what they're doing. And, Absolutely. You know, and 
and let's be honest, we all need good plumbers. So you the, betcha. <laughs> no, no, no value judgment from me. I went, in that week I spent, I got to, because uh, I was obviously out in a farming area, one of the most amazing things I ever saw was I got to go out with the, the, the plumbing company I was doing the work experience with and we had to service a windmill. Do you know how far those things go down? It was like, I swear it was somewhere around the centre of the earth. I'm pretty sure I saw Jules Verne, no, Jules Verne <laughs> pop up at one point. Those things go down a long way. But anyway, this is heart of the bookkeeper for those who've just tuned in, not heart of the windmill. So <laughs> the journey took you to Silicon Valley. Now, I reckon there wouldn't be a person on this uh, this forum, this podcast right now that doesn't have uh, some sort of romantic idea of what Silicon Valley must have been like in the, when, when was this, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, it was sort of mid, mid-90s through to the early 2000s, yeah. So it was amazing. Um, it, was, it was completely amazing. So sort of um, my journey there, um, I graduated Melbourne Uni, got a job with a consulting firm, um, really enjoyed it. As I said earlier, got to travel, got accepted into business school with the support of that firm and, and wouldn't have got there without... Um, the guidance and help and coaching of others in the firm who'd sort of been before me. Uh, But I did go really feeling that I was not a consultant, that I really liked product and I liked to build things and I liked to own things and that as a consultant there was always a part of me that, you know, I pour my heart and soul, we all would, who were working together into a strategy for a business and then it was up to them whether they did it or not. And I think mm. it was the best thing ever and they could sort of seem indifferent as to whether it was what they wanted to do or not. And so I knew um, that after study I, I, I wanted to do something where I really got my hands into a business and I was part of a team that built um, a, a product or a service. And the question was what? And so I spent a fair bit of time reading, researching, talking to people and I spent my summer between years at business school in a vitamin manufacturing plant in southern LA. About Mm. 10% of the workforce spoke English and I didn't speak Spanish. Um, (laughs) And it was a contract manufacturer, so we did white label vitamins, private label vitamins for different chemists and, you know, and and drugstores, as they called them, across the US. And it was razor-thin margins, like it ran on a 3% um, profit margin. And um, and I learned a few things through that. Number one, the people that I worked with were really important to me. I needed to be stimulated and engaged. And I did some good work there, but I was working as a as a lone wolf. And, you know, as and so I really wanted to be in, in something where I, I was more engaged as part of a team. Number two, because it was such a low margin business, it almost couldn't fund investment in change. And I love change. And, and mm. I realised... That, that lots of people like to go to work and have it be predictable and, and like to do what they did yesterday. I fundamentally love change and I love um, orchestrating change, bringing about change. I love being a part of change. And, and I'd always been a little bit geeky. So I'd always been the, the one who, if we moved house, which we did a few times, it would always might be my job to set up and wire the stereo and stuff. Yeah, there right. was just something in there where I, 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 quite, I quite liked that. And so uh, those things came together to really say, what's the industry that's driving change in the world? 
uh, where, mm. where are the companies fast-paced where what they did last year, if not changed next year, means they'll be out of business? And, and it all mm. led to tech. Um, and then, of course, there's big tech and there was startup tech. And, and I read a book called Startup um, when I was at business school and it talked about the venture capital community in Silicon Valley um, and talked about this ecosystem that was developing whereby people would have ideas, they'd pitch them to a number of VCs, one of them might give those two or three people a million dollars. They could employ half a dozen people, build a prototype, take it out and get some testing going in the market. And if that worked and if the concept was well liked and customers would pay for it, then they could get another $3 million and really mm. build it into a, a full product organisation. If that worked, you'd get 10 and you'd you know, build. At any point, if it didn't work and you hit that threshold and you hadn't met what was needed, then the business just dissolved and folded. Mm. But the individuals got absorbed by the ecosystem and they would go and join one of those ones that had passed that hurdle. So they were going from 20 people to 50 people or whatever. And the experience that they had in that former organisation that didn't succeed was not seen as a failure. It mm. was seen as a learning experience. And, mm. you know, what did you learn from that and how do you bring it forward? And it was the, the for me, when I got there and, and felt this and was a part of it, it's what we now all call a growth mindset that, mm. you know, that everybody's capable of doing amazing things. Um, it's believing that and, and asking what are the things that you need to learn to be able to do those amazing things, not whether you have them or not. It's not a binary point. It, it's about growth and, and, and what do you need to do to grow to have that capacity. And so I, um, I just read about it and I thought it was the most pure form of capitalism that exists, <laughs> that, you know, that there are these people taking risks that they all understand that one in 10 of these companies will succeed. No one knows which one of the 10 ideas will work. So you give all 10 a little bit and then mm. you whittle it down and you give three of them a bit more and then you whittle it down and one of them, you know, booms and becomes something that really changes the world. Yeah. And so I, um, I, I moved out to California um, after I graduated. I had uh, a 44 four weeks left on my student visa. So as a part of my student visa, I was allowed to work for a year. I'd, I'd worked eight weeks at this vitamin manufacturing plant, so I had 44 weeks left. I had to convince someone to give me a job. I'd been a consultant <laughs> and I had an MBA, but there were more MBAs running around at that moment than you could poke a stick at. So I spent a lot of time knocking on doors and, um, and, and researching companies just trying to find one that would open. And eventually one of my classmates from business school who was far more experienced than, than I was going into business school got a job um, as a vice president of marketing and he wanted someone to come and drive marketing strategies um, for him. And, um, and I saw this email go around to our MBA class and picked up the phone and, and grabbed it and, and, um, and managed to get, get that opportunity to sort of break in and to start in the startup community in Silicon Valley. It's, I, you know, I can't speak for uh, everybody who's tuning into this episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper, but it's a, well, put it this way, I recently discovered a, a show and I'd recommend anybody who hasn't watched it to watch it. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. It's called The New Hustle. And it tracks the journey of three companies here in Australia as startups. Canva, who is now 
one of the biggest companies going around. Um, I think safety um, culture on there. Safety culture, yeah, that was the other one. And there was a third one and I can't remember, but that, uh, that's v- the v- teacher v- to go v- and watch Vino it. Mofo, I think it was. Vino Mofo, yeah, which was the most interesting of the three, I reckon. Um, yeah. If you haven't watched it, jump on and have a look. It's an amazing one. I've watched it probably half a dozen times and I just never cease to love that raw energy of the opportunity to, to, to engage and get some, you know, capital behind them to grow their business. Well, and, and, and that's what it was like, Rob. Everywhere you went there back in, in those days, um, people believed what we were doing was, was um, setting the foundations for the future of the way in which everyone would live. And yeah. if, if you think about the companies that have come out of there, um, that's what was happening. Um, yep. and, and But yet there was this sort of um, naive euphoria. It was sort of like the, lots of very young people um, didn't know what we didn't know. Um, lots of people who, you know, there, there was very little fear. There was no fear of failure. Um, lots yeah. of belief. Yep. Um, lots of things, quest conversations about why things would work. You know, the sort of that element that I spoke about earlier in me of loving change and loving ideas yeah. and new things that are out there, it was just like drinking from a fire hose. Um, I mean, the city yeah. wasn't built for what <laughs> happened, you know. I mean, you you go and try and rent an apartment and there'd be 20 people there and it was an auction. Like, you know, it'd be advertised for $1,000 a week and you'd hear the person in front of you put in their application and say, I'll pay 1200 And, you know, it was yeah. crazy. The infrastructure wasn't there to support what was happening. But 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 they, they, were, they were amazing times and I would not relive them anywhere else in the world. I'm, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So you, you, you get your wings and you come back to Australia. Um, obviously, the, the part of the journey that many who are listening in will resonate with is, is then, was it immediate that you landed at Solution 6 slash MYOB or was there a period of time in between? Were you recruited specifically for that or? Yeah, no, I was. I was still in the States and um, I decided that I wanted to move home. And so I um, shared that story with the person who's now my business partner in the private equity fund. And he said, listen, I've, um, I actually, he was between jobs and he'd spent a bit of time. He was also Australian. I met him at, at, at Harvard and he said, listen, I met this guy called Neil Gamble while I was down there. He runs a company called Solution 6. You know, they're looking um, to strengthen the management team, so I should connect you. And he's a very persuasive person. So, you know, here am I thinking I'm going to come down and compete with Janine. And, um, yeah. and, <laughs> uh, and he convinced me to, um, to, to take this meeting with Neil. And um, Neil and I spent about five hours together at the LA airport a few weeks after that. Neil was... Um, on his way through the US and um, was kind enough to spend some time with me and really hit it off well. And so um, gave me a job offer a few months later and, and I moved down to take that job. So the um, the listeners can sort of get some context. Solution 6 at that time was the go-to pretty much, wasn't it, for, for practice accounting here in Australia? There wasn't too many competitors, I don't think, at that point. Is yeah, that right? That, that, that's right. So APS had started up and um, they, they were a small startup, but Reckon hadn't bought them at that point in time. MYAB had acquired Teletax and CA Systems mm-hmm. um, and had started to bring those products together to create what became Accountant's Office. 
Um, but Solution 6 was the main player there. Now, Solution 6 had been through ups and downs of its own through the dot-com boom, had bought all sorts of businesses and added them on, and, and Neil was really there to clean them up. And so it was... Um, it had three main product lines when I joined and about 60 or 70% of the business was that sort of practice solutions component um, and, and, and that's what I came down to run. Uh, the, uh, the other components were sort of for much bigger high-end um, enterprise sort of consulting firms and for legal practices. And mm-hmm. ultimately they got spun out um, and, and, and became a North American business. Um, That's where most of their clients were, was in the US. And MYB um, purchased the accountant's business. And, and, um, you know, and I thought that would be the end for me. I figured that, Mm. you know, most companies that make big acquisitions um, have management in place. And that, you know, if you're sort of in the management team of the acquiring company, sort of wisdom, at least at that point in time, went that, you know, you're probably not going to be around for too long. And so I met Craig, and um, and Matt Critchley, uh, Matt was the COO at the time, so and became Craig, my Craig boss. Craig Winkler, we're talking about here. Craig Winkler, yeah. And um, yep. and they asked me if I'd stay and run the combined accountants um, side of the business, and um, and you know, and and I immediately um, sort of struck a chord with both of them, and 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 thought that I'd give it a go, and. You know, never did I expect that it would lead to the journey it did. What year are we in now, Tim? 2003-2004 was the end of 2003. 2003-04, yeah. yeah. So for for many that are, are tuned in, um, that was probably the moment that for the majority of, of bookkeepers who've now been around for, you know, 20 years or so, really were starting to find their wings and understanding a program like MYOB and the impact it could make because obviously we're only two two or three years into the GST and we've talked about on this podcast, you know, some of the evolution of how, you know, like in my case I've referenced several times that I think it was on the 30th of June 2000 I had about 20 clients and by 24 hours later I had 220 clients, you know, that's how crazy it went in those GST initial years. What was MYOB like when you sort of first, you know, after the acquisition and you sort of became involved with with that side of the company where they, you know, they'd won small business of the year, I think back in 1996, if I'm right, and um, clearly things really launched about that time for MYOB, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, look, MYOB was and I think always has been a great business and I think in large part it's a tribute to the founders who really... Um, built it um, on very strong um, values and, you know, and the, the business was always, I think, very customer-focused, you know, um, really willing to invest um, and, 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 and really believed in the partners um, who were, you know, the face and voice of MYOB and, you know, and that was there when I joined and it's one of the things that I always tried to maintain through the culture of the business is appreciating um, that we were part of the solution, um, but that small business owners needed people to be out there um, to really get the most of the solutions. And and that was our partner network. So um, look, MYOB was a great place. 
that said, it was an organisation that had been through growing pains. You know, GST had obviously been a huge boost for our business, but the company was almost bankrupt in twenty in two thousand and one, and you know, weeks away from not making payroll and having semi trailer loads of boxes returned because the retail channel had bought in two thousand and one like it was going to be two thousand and two. You know, again. Um, mm. and, and so, you know, um, there was, it was huge challenge in the business at that point. We'd in, invested to um, grow globally through those years, but didn't have the success that we'd had in Australia and New Zealand um, in any other market and were really challenged. Um, you know, when I became CEO, we were in 12 countries and I think making money in three and the third one we were, you know, was, 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 you know, a very poor return on capital, but nonetheless was profitable. And so there were, you know, it, it was it was a growing up um, sort of era for the business. Mm. And, um, but mm. really great foundations um, that had been put in place, I think, right from the start from our founders that, um, that meant that it was, you know, it was a great place to be and a great place to build on. So you, you've kind of segued beautifully into where I want to take this conversation for the next maybe four or five minutes perhaps. I quite often invite in the lead up to one of these podcasts some, you know, questions to come through our membership and um, one that came in from Gabriella was around asking you the question of is it, is it just rhetoric sometimes from the software companies? And obviously, of course, we're focused on MYAB right now in this conversation, but is it just rhetoric that they do understand the importance of their partners? And in particular, in this case, in this question, the bookkeeper um, out there in the marketplace, or is that just sales speak? You know, you're you're outside of the loop now. You don't, you know, have... To be restricted, I guess, um, in any commentary you make around that. It, it, when you go back to the days, and especially at the point when you took over as CEO, which was what about two thousand and six, five? I'm uh, doing the math. Two thousand and eight, I think. Two thousand and eight, yeah. right? Okay. Internally, the conversations was there a genuine understanding and and feeling that the bookkeeping community played a vital role in the success of the company, or was that just a was that just rhetoric? No, absolutely. Um, it was there and it was real. Um, and, you know, it's a good question. And, and I think it's impossible to answer universally um, because I don't think companies will or won't. Um, but what you, I would encourage anyone to do is to look at the thrust of the actions that they take and the way in which they behave. And, you know, um, I would say consistently through the times that I saw, I, I, would, I would hope that it was seen that, you know, that we invested in people, you know, we invested in solutions, um, we listened, we changed things, we apologised when we needed to, you know, um, that, that the, these are the signs of people who have respect for others and, you know, and, and the role that they play and the importance of that. And so I think there's, um, at the end of it, there are obviously many things that would bring a company like MYOB and a bookkeeping community together. Um, but there are going to be 
you know, limits to that and and everyone has to be realistic that there'll be times when you feel the limits of that, when, mm. you know, the investment needs to go somewhere else or there has to be multiple channels to market and, you know, and whatever that might be and, um, and so on. Uh, but I think you've got to sort of s- scale out at those moments and say in the landscape that decisions are being made in, actually... I understand why that decision's being made and ultimately we'll all be stronger for it, even if it creates some sort of challenge or conflict in the here and now. And, mm. you know, mm. and, and so, look, I I would encourage everyone to sit, sit back, think strategically and, 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 and quite head-oriented and then think about the people that you engage with and, mm. you know, and, and how does that feel and does it feel like it's genuine and just like, you know, as humans we make any other decision. Um, but certainly at MYOB, um, that, that, you know, that was there right at the start. It was there before me and it was one of the things that, you know, I, I really worked to maintain. It's it it really is still a, I guess a question for many in our community still to this day as to the perceived value. Um, maybe it's an inhibition or a trait of of the bookkeeping community. I don't know. I don't believe it is. I believe that bookkeepers are so passionate about what they do that they just desire to know that they are valued because they put so much time and effort into what they've done. And I think we've had some times in the last year where that's been tested. I'm witness, I'm privy every single day as in my role as the support and resources manager of the ICB to see how incredibly invested bookkeepers had to get in JobKeeper, in JobSeeker, in JobMaker, and then in the last couple of months in Victorian and New South Wales grants, and they have literally put themselves on the mat for their clients to ensure that, you know, business can continue here in Australia. And and this is only said colloquially, but quite often we don't hear that ever Represented, you know, the the word accountant is used regularly, and, uh, and I'm not diminishing that, but the word bookkeeper is one that it's been almost like a battle for, especially the last twenty or thirty years, to overcome that stigma of you're just a bookkeeper. We've mentioned this a few times in this podcast. Does does that, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question a little bit later around um, your feeling of the bookkeeping community in the business community moving forward. But you're clearly saying to me that, especially during your time as CEO of MYAB, that was never a, a thought. It was internally, it was, we need to really work with these guys and they play a crucial role in our business model. Uh, that's what I'm perceiving from what you're saying. A- absolutely. And, I mean, if, if, you, if you push it one step further, Rob, you know, if it's not an external bookkeeper who's, who's, who was the user of our products, if the business grew and hired someone in who was doing it, what were they? Well, they were a bookkeeper, yeah. right? If, yeah. if, if the business yeah. owner was doing the books on a Sunday afternoon, he said, I'm doing the bookkeeping, right? Um, or I'm doing the yes. books was probably yes. what he or she would have said at that moment yeah. in time. So, like, when one was using our small business products, whomever, whatever job title that person had, they were bookkeeping. Like, that's that's what the products did. And Mm. so, like, to Mm. me, like, that's not something that should be diminished or derogatory. That's 
that's the the critical other ingredient to get the end result that we were all aiming for, you know, which was to make sure the business was compliant, to make sure that the business owner had up-to-date financials off which they could make informed decisions um, to to help build a better business. And And that's one of the things that we celebrate is that bookkeeping is universal across a wide range of people. It's not just the word bookkeeper, it's bookkeeping, as you said, and we've got so many of our membership who who are employed and work for businesses and one minute they might be, you know, uh, sweeping the floor but the next minute they might be doing the payroll. You know, who knows what they're doing but bookkeeping at the heart of it is something that business, regardless of how big, small or otherwise, it's such an important part of their process, isn't it? And MYOB found a way to connect with business, uh, I found, so this is my own commentary now, you know, having spent so much time coming to understand or trying to understand it, in the end I pretty much gave up and just went, well, listen to what these guys are saying at conferences or whatever, and I come to come to understand that it was so true that MYOB, and I suspect Zero and, and Reckon and QuickBooks now, genuinely believe that the connection with the business owner doing the books or the bookkeeper is the heart and soul of their product. They can't exist without it. And I think once you grasp that in the sort of industry that most of us that are listening work in, you kind of almost get a sense of, you know, release that you you are doing something that is impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And and so the other side I'd put on that, Rob, is um, we all have to own who we are, right? And so the... um, you know, the, the external validation is always great, um, but I, that goes back to a bit to the plumber conversation that we, we had, you know, 20 minutes yeah. ago. Like uh, I think everyone should own who they are and, you know, and, and what, that, what does that mean? It means taking pride in what we do and, you know, and, and it's, a, um, it's a critical role and that's, you know, it's, it's needed in the way in which our community works and and so it's not something to own or sort of to to do but but sh- stand back from it's something to own and really step forward with and i think you know when you look at things like um, productivity across the nation and you think about um, what bookkeepers can do in assisting small businesses with things that generally the small business owner doesn't understand you know, in adopting automation, in adopting whatever it is, digital um, receipt of um, invoices, in, you know, in, in using bank feeds to accelerate bank reconciliations, in integrating payments into invoices. You know, the tools have to be made available, but somebody has to lead that process of change. And, mm. you know, at, at the end, if you boil it all up, our standard of living is defined by real wages. Real wages only go up when productivity goes up. And that just means we can get more done with less. How do we do that? By adopting technology is the number one way. And so I stand back and look at it and say that, you know, the, the bookkeeper is in an amazing position to contribute really positively to society. And so why shouldn't people be anything other than incredibly proud of that? 
Um, thank you for saying that because I think there's a lot of bookkeepers right now and I'm, this episode is in September of 2021 and we've got so many, including yourself, Tim, who are in lockdown around Australia, around the world and so many in our community, the bookkeeping community, and I think that's a great encouragement and uh, I, I'm I'm in the fortunate position that I'm looking at Tim as he's saying it and he's saying it with absolute heart and passion. Um, that's his belief and his understanding uh, looking from the outside in, you might say. And and um, with your time through that period at MYB, once you took over as CEO, you spoke a minute, minute ago about bookkeepers um, being allowed to be proud of what they do. What's some things that you're really proud in reflection of what you did at MYB? And, and then maybe contrast it with a moment that you possibly look back and go, we didn't quite get that right, you know, or I didn't, I didn't quite get that right, perhaps. Yeah. So, look, I think, um, firstly, I try and live life looking forwards, um, not looking backwards, um, because yes, I, I find <laughs> spending too much time in the rearview mirror just, um, you know, it, it can bog you down. But what am I really proud of? Look, I think that um, through those years, MYAB went through a period um, where the technology base changed, the industry changed, and that we needed to transform who we were to to remain relevant. And, um, you know, if I stand back and contrast that to others who were in similar situations to us around the world, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the way in which we did it. You know, we were very true to the values of the organisation, um, to the, the, the real um, vision and mission that the founders had about making business life easier and around mm-hmm. investing to be able to do that and investing to really make sure that we did um, genuinely embrace the opportunity there of using technology, using the cloud um, to create a suite of products that made business life easier. We built people's careers, you know, and mm-hmm. there were so many people who joined MYOB and started, you know, on our support phones who then became partner managers and became product managers who, you know, are now um, country heads of, of different companies and, you know, and, and we always invested in people and believed in people and gave people the, the benefit of the doubt and the opportunity to really build and, and grow. Um, you know, look, we returned some great returns to our shareholders and that's an important part of running any business. Um, you know, we had five different owners through the period that I was CEO and that became a bit crazy at different times. But, um, but you know, we, we, we made positive returns um, to our shareholders as well. And ultimately, I look at that as mums and dads superannuation funds that, you know, people will hopefully be able to retire with a little more comfort because of the returns that we were able to generate for them. So I'm really proud of all of that, you know. Are there things that I would do differently? There are so many, Rob, that when I go back, <laughs> it's just really, it's, you know, as, as I map back in time, probably more things that I would do differently than not um, if, if, if I'm completely um, honest with you. Um, but that's where, for me, um, I, I need to sort of always take things, keep them in perspective, learn what I can and move forward from there. Yeah, great call, great call. I don't think you need to go any further with that, Tim. We don't, like you say, we look forward, we don't look back. Um, I think um, if we're all honest with each other, uh, I've shared it a couple of times, you know, you can only 
own what you did at the time and, and that what you did is what you did and there's, you know, history proves that it wasn't maybe the wisest decision sometimes but you did it and you did it with passion, you did it with reason, you did it with purpose. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think I, I mean, I think I shared openly with probably many people um, who are listening, you know, I, I remember a presentation at Partner Connect, maybe it was four years ago or something, um, where I talked about a SWOT analysis that we went through at the moment that we started building our online accounting suite as opposed to our desktop ones. And that, you know, I diagnosed that as a product problem and actually what we needed to do was change the um, the culture of the business and the way in which we thought and the way in which we operated. And once I got that right, then all of a sudden the products improved dramatically. And, you know, and, and so there's, there's lots of things like that that, you know, that... Uh, I, I won't relive the stories because I, I suspect no. many, many people who are listening heard me too many over too many years, too many times um, stand on stage and talk through them. And I want to reiterate, especially for those who perhaps don't know Tim and didn't go on, on the MYAB journey of the last 12 or 13 years, but his his willingness to share openly with partners, in particular the bookkeeping and, and consulting community was always amazing and uh, I can remember clearly saying to somebody in my time in business, I'd never ever heard a CEO stand up on stage and apologise for something which I'd just been privy to only an hour or two earlier with you doing that on stage. So I know uh, that probably embarrasses you to for me to raise that, but your willingness to, to be open and honest was always on show, Tim. So uh, I know for many of us, we want to always thank you for that. But life always moves on and in 2019, um, I think it was, uh, yeah, 2019, we had a, uh, a final conference in, uh, in Melbourne and um, Partner Connect and Tim announced that he was leaving the company to, to move on to, to different shores. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey since then? Where, where, where are you at? And in particular, tell, tell us a little bit about Potentia and the Business Council of Australia and your roles there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, look, um, yeah, life does move on and it's amazing, you know, how, um, how, how quickly and, um, you know, just thinking back, chatting to you about those, those two years in some senses, um, it doesn't seem like long ago that we were having having that conversation, Rob. In other senses, um, so much has happened in that time. Um, but Potentia is a private equity fund. Um, we um, have raised $450 million predominantly from Australian superannuation funds to invest in Australian technology businesses. And, um, and when I say that, we've got seven investments we've made, all of them are B2B software businesses. And so we um, invest in businesses where we think they've got something right, but probably um, a few things where we think um, we can make a difference and improve the way in which they run and operate. And they're, they're right across the nation. So we've got a mining software business based in Perth. Um, we've got a, um, a, a facilities management um, uh, software business on the Gold Coast, an e-commerce business in Brisbane, an education software business in Melbourne, a payment software business and a compliance software business in Sydney. And so a real range of different businesses. Um, they, they are sort of 50 to 350 people sort of size. So they're, um, they're smaller businesses than MYOB was, but, um, but still significant in their own right. 
Um, some of them sell globally, um, some of them just sell into the domestic market. But what we do is, um, is we take a majority ownership position. All of them we've bought from the founder. So the founder may have been there 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but the founder wants to move on. Um, in all cases, the founder has invested some alongside us. So we've bought somewhere between 55 and 95% of the business. And, and sometimes there's a CEO in place who's already taken over from the founder. And so it's more of a financial exit for the founder. Sometimes the founder is up there, up there right until that moment in time. And then we find a new CEO and bring them in. Um, and in one of the businesses, um, one of the two co-founders is still there as the CEO because he, he really wanted to stay on and see it through this next leg of the journey. And our team works then with the management team to make sure we have a really clear strategy to make sure that we understand uh, what's going to take that business to the next level and to make sure that we've got the, the talent and, and resources in the business to execute on that plan and then get it done. And so for me, it's fantastic. I chair um, six of the seven businesses. And so I get the chance to work with the CEOs and the executive teams um, you know, on a sort of daily, weekly basis. They're, they're fabulous people who are building great businesses um, that will, you know, all really positively contribute to our community. At some point in time, being a private equity fund, we make our money by selling those businesses and then returning capital to our investors. And, you know, usually that's a sort of three, four, five, six-year period. So for the businesses that have been bought since I've been um, a part of it. We haven't um, haven't done that yet, um, but that will mm. be a process um, in in the years ahead. Um, so that's Potentia. Um, I'm one of two managing directors of the business. Um, the other mm -hmm. is a long term friend of mine, Andrew Gray. Um, we met at Harvard Business School. He's Australian as well, um, and um, our careers sort of crisscrossed. We're in um, Silicon Valley together through those years. Mm, wow. He spent the majority of his time in um, private equity um, and yeah. I've spent mine obviously and, and investing in tech businesses. I've spent mine obviously in operating roles. So we bring sort of really complementary skill sets, him as an investor <laughs> and me as an operator of businesses. Mm. So look, it's a lot of fun. We've got a really talented team, about 20 people we've employed and um, yeah, it's, it, it's great. I'm, I'm really really energised by what we're doing and, and, and really proud of the culture and the organisation that we're building. But I do love the variety that then comes with the Business Council. Um, so the Business Council yeah. of Australia is made up of about 130 of Australia's largest employers. So if you go mm -hmm. down the list of BHP and Rio Tinto and Coles and Woolworths and the big four banks, etc., through to businesses like MYOB, Seek, um, Atlassian, Salesforce, Microsoft, you know, multinationals have their local offices, Amazon, etc., are, are all members of the BCA. Our vision and purpose is to ensure that Australia um, is economically strong and that, that, that those economics are shared with all Australians. Um, so we really believe the business is a global endeavour um, and that there are countries that have um, make it easier and better places to do business um, and that that adds to the economic strength of the, of the country. And by doing that, those, those, those countries are able to invest in the services that, um, that, you know, that the community wants and expects. 
um, and, 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 and that's what we try and do. So we try and promote policies that will lead to economic prosperity and we try and promote policies that mean that that prosperity is shared by all people so that there aren't parts of the community that are left behind. We think that business is a prime player in that and that, you know, the, the, the best way to do that is to create an environment where businesses will invest, um, where the, the risk and reward that people um, tra- trade off is right so that, you know, capital is, is absolutely fungible. Cap- capital will flow around the world and will flow to the place where the environment is, is best. And, um, and we want capital to be invested here. We, we, we want to see yeah. more training. We want to see yep. more jobs. We want to see yep. higher wages um, for people. Um, and so that's, that's the, the vision. It sort of works in three parts, but a big part and the part that's probably most known is our policy work. So we develop policy positions either proactively or respond, respond to reactively um, to what's happening in, in the, um, the, the public debate. Um, so, you know, we were very active with the government working on designing JobKeeper last year. Um, we've been working actively on um, all of the health orders. When Victoria first went into lockdown last year, we worked with the Victorian government to make sure that while they um, rightfully wanted to restrict movement, that they didn't do it to such an extent that they shut down the food supply chain on the east coast of Australia, which was a genuine possibility back then. And, you know, and, and we got our members together and got them engaged in conversations with the government so that we could jointly work together to make sure that the nation kept operating and that, you know, that, that we didn't have the absolute panic of, you know, when the phone system goes down when the water stops, when the electricity stops, when you run out of food, that's when societies can really break down and you can see people acting yeah. in ways that mm. none of us want to see. And so there was, you know, um, really constructive conversations all round that needed to take place then and, and the BCA was sort of the partner that the federal government, the Victorian government, et cetera, turned to for us to be able to coordinate those conversations across our members. Yeah. I'd encourage everyone to, you know, jump on and have a look at the, the BCA's website and there's some great insights into there. They're, they're, it's probably not the space that most of our bookkeeping community would work within, but to get an insight into the impact that Tim's playing now, for those certainly who know Tim's background and history, it's quite it's quite a, an interesting read and um, I follow it very closely. I know you get to rub shoulders with the Alan Joyces of this world and and a few few other uh, pretty big heavy hitters in in Australia. So you've come a, a fair way from um, you know that vitamin company in in the uh, the Silicon Valley uh, Valley or California there, Tim. I reckon. <laughs> oh, thank you, Rob. I um, I I think um, anybody who has known you across the journey always um, knew that. Uh, bigger and, and brighter lights were always uh, in your future. Probably more importantly, though, in your past and still currently in your present is an amazing lady that you met, Carola. Do you want to tell us how that, that all came about? Was she uh, somebody who swept you off your feet or was that the other way around or, or what, what happened uh, Hopefully a little bit both. Um, right, okay. Yeah, so look, I'm very fortunate. Carola and I have been married for 21 going on 22 years now. Um, 
I met her at the very first job that I got at Silicon Valley. So we were at the same internet startup. Uh, we were both in other relationships at that point in time. So it took us a little bit of time to get together. Um, she will say that I dragged my feet and it was way too long. But um, uh, no, look, she's fantastic. Carola grew up in Hungary. Um, and so she grew up on the other side of the Iron Curtain in a communist regime. And when the Berlin Wall came down and communism sort of crumbled in those Eastern Bloc countries, um, emigrated to the US and is um, enormously grateful for the generosity of the people who um, took her in as an immigrant and really gave her an opportunity and backed her through that time, as of course am I. Um, we've got three great kids. Um, they're 15, 18 and 21 now. And... Um, and Mieta, Vivian and Zoltan. And Zoltan, that, yeah. Yes. That's it. Um, and, and they're all amazing people. And, um, you know, I, I feel humbled and um, and proud to, um, you know, be part of a team um, with each of them. Uh, yeah, so Carola and I, as I say, um, met at work um, and um, immediately hit it off. Um, it was um, Valentine's Day um when we went a couple of years later, so call it a year and a bit later, um, when we went out on our first date. Um, and um, and I think we both knew right from the start that this was something that was um, likely to last a lifetime and, and, and hopefully it will. Oh, there you go. So we've, we've been working hard to get to the heart of the bookkeeper. I think we just found it. It's uh, quite often it revolves back to, you know, a day, Valentine's Day, you know, whatever year it was. That That's the moment you go, my heart was found because I found a soul to share it with. And that, that's a wonderful story. Your kids are obviously you know, very proud of their parents because to keep the unit together and the conversations that I know you've had with your kids over the years, uh, you should be very proud. And and I, I know, no doubt Corolla has um, played a pretty important role across the journey with the amount of travel you've had to do, especially in your MYAB days. And uh, I know she's a very active person in the community herself, um, spent some time on a, on the council, I believe, or the local yeah, council. Yeah, she's, point. Is she's, right? she still is. So yeah. she's been almost 10 years as a local councillor. Yeah, still involved. Um, yeah, she chairs yeah. the local art gallery. She's actually just been retraining to, to work in the mental health space and um, and wow. she, she'll, she'll be um, starting a new career next year. She spent these two COVID years studying and um, will be relaunching a new career there. So she's a wonderful person and you're absolutely right, Rob. We've always approached life as a team and there's no way that I could have done the things that I've done without her. Um, and, and frankly, um, she makes me a better person. Um, she, you know, she calls bullshit um, faster than <laughs> most people in my life. And, um, I love um, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> makes me a better person. So, Tim, we can't go without um, those who listen in regularly know that I um, I finish each episode with a segment uh, which we call Debits and Credits and they're, uh, you know, very, very um, apt to the bookkeeping community, obviously, and they're four questions, four quick rapid questions. The, the debit questions probably are a little bit more serious than the, the credit questions, but you can answer them in any way, shape or form. This is, this is your episode. Um, so... Again, I've asked for some input from some members and uh, a member that you may or may not 
have run across in your journey, a, a, a lovely lady called Leanne Berry has provided um, these questions in this particular episode. Sounds like I'm in trouble, Rob. I think you might be looking <laughs> down the, the route at some trouble and, and in, in, in some irony, uh, Leanne has recently taken up a position at MYOB. So there you go. So her first question was, you've got 60 seconds to give an elevator pitch to any one of the businesses that you're currently um, uh, uh, showing investment into as to why they should employ a bookkeeper? Oh, that's really simple. Look, the heart of making good decisions in a business is having sound underlying financials. Um, and we we have a business in our portfolio that didn't have this and they didn't have a bookkeeper. And so it, it's an absolute no-brainer. As a business owner, focus on what you do well, focus on what you're passionate about and let someone who is really great at this and really passionate about it do this function for you because it will be on their capability that you will build your success. Oh, I love it. Love it. Leanne just uh, rang the bell for 60 seconds. I could hear her in the background there. I think she's listening in and I'm going to replay that and write that one down. That might be the next pitch at our uh, next uh, ICB event, I reckon. That was brilliant. Next, we, we move to the credit line because, um, you know, all good bookkeepers know they've got to balance their debits with their credits. What's the most recent business book or podcast that you've listened to that you would give a recommendation to the listeners to tune into? Oh, so it's not a um, business one, Rob, but I've been listening to um, a podcast called The Huberman Files. Um, and the it's Human Files? Huberman Huberman files, yeah. right, okay. Yeah. yeah, and it's all about um, the brain and the way the brain works and the importance mm. of sleep. So I would strongly yeah. recommend that. I'm a much better business person when I've had a good night's sleep. Amen. Amen to that, yes. Um, I've made some poor decisions over the journey in business and most of them have been because I've laid awake too, way too long thinking about them. You know, a good night's sleep and, and some perspective makes a big, big difference, I reckon, so... The Huberman... Huberman Lab, actually. Huberman... Lab. Yeah, Lab. He's a professor at Stanford University. All right. Now, I've got that written down. I'll be tuning into that, absolutely. All right, back to the the, uh, debit question. Really, really tough one, this one. But uh, I reckon you're up for it. We've been through the most disruptive period in our generation in the last year, year and a half, still there, still there hopefully heading towards some sort of uh, relief. I I think we're all hanging on to that right now. With all that's happened, what do you see Australian business looking like in five years' time? So this is across the board. What what, what does Australian business look like in your head in five years' time? So you know I'm a 90% glass full guy, Rob. Yes, you Um, are. So what I think has happened to us is that business has actually been shaken up and challenged and we've learnt the ability to change and we've learnt the ability to be able to drive change far more rapidly than what we had anticipated. We've just been forced to do things differently and it's made us do that. But we've learnt something more important than just the changes. We've learnt the process of change and we've learnt to embrace that. And so I think business is going to be more dynamic. I think it's going to be more globally competitive Um And I will go out there and say with 54% of the ASX 100 declaring net zero, um, it it is going to be less carbon intensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope so. Absolutely. All right. We finish on a credit and this was 
directly straight from your friend of mine, Leanne. She wants to know, you're allowed to have one business person from history, any time in history, at a barbecue that you and Carolla are having tonight. Who, who's that business person going to be? Oh, look, I would go for Bill Gates. Um, yeah? I okay. think he's been, like, I think the way that he steered Microsoft um, through decades of success and the way that he's now tackling the world's biggest problems uh, through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, um, problems around the status of women, um, problems around health, um, frankly, around vaccinations. Um, you know, I think he just thinks at a global scale. And so if I could sit and pick one person's brain, I think I would do that because I think he shares this thing that I've tried to communicate of my passions around business and public policy. And, um, and you know, he's probably spent half of his career in technology and now half of it um, genuinely in trying to change the world. It would be seriously interesting, that's for sure. And I think there's a Netflix series that you can watch about Bill Gates and his private uh, approach to, to life. And it, uh, I've watched it a couple of times and it's been quite interesting. Yeah, I think I saw one Inside Bill's Brain. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one, yeah, yeah. Inside Bill's Brain, yep, yep, that's the one. So if you're uh, if you're in lockdown right now and you're looking for a, a good watch, I'd jump on uh, on Netflix and watch that one. I'm pretty sure it was on Netflix. So I'm going to stroke with the fact that I've got a chance to uh, bring one business person in history to a barbecue that my wife Jackie and I are running tonight and it's going to be Tim Reid because, uh, look, I, I could sit and talk to you, Tim Reid, for hours and hours and hours and you are a person that has time and time again shown integrity, you've shown incredible courage in the time that I've known you, you've shown uh, incredible wisdom um, but for me, best of all, uh, you've become a very good friend and I've valued the friendship that uh, you and I have had. I value especially the opportunity that we've had on Heart of the Bookkeeper to just get a little bit of insight into the brain of Tim Reid. Uh, if you don't uh, know Tim Reid by now, I, uh, I suspect that you haven't uh, listened clearly enough because he shared his heart today and we really appreciate that and we want to thank you for this time, Tim. And I'll give you the last, uh, the last say. Rob, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to join you and to everyone out there who's listening, who I've met and um, chatted to in the past but perhaps haven't seen for a couple of years. I trust you're all well and trust that you're all continuing to prosper through lockdown. I, I do know how challenging it has been for small business owners and that that flows directly onto their trusted advisors. So I'm sure you've all been sharing and shouldering um, quite a burden there. But... Um, but thank you for everything you're doing and, um, and, and really great to be able to spend this time with you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Rob. Wow, what a fabulous, fabulous journey we've just been on. Thank you, Tim, for sharing your business story with us, your life story, and we want to wish you and your family and all the things still yet to come in your future all the very, very best. We thank you for tuning in today and we... Uh, Again, give a shout out to everybody on the east coast of Australia in particular and anywhere in the world that is still in lockdown. We hope that we're bringing a little bit of light to your world and we want to tell you that we absolutely love your heart and we thank you for tuning in to Heart of the Bookkeeper and we will see you again soon. Listener.